Hi. Welcome to the Smut Report. I'm Ingrid. I'm Erin. Guys. Smut Report! Hi. Welcome to the Smut Report. I'm Ingrid. I'm Erin. And I'm Holly. And today we're in the final four of our Put Your Dukes Up bracket. Put up we're your talking- dukes. Why do you guys want to say it weird? We had because- the whole etymology discussion and everything. All right. All right be quiet. Right. Yeah. Continue. Just because you're right doesn't mean it doesn't sound wrong in my ears. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Ingrid. <laughs> Who's facing off? Who's facing off? We're getting the Duke of VA. From a duke of her own, Eloisa James. We're talking about Montgomery, Elizabeth Hoyt, Duke of Sin. We're talking about Claremont from the Duchess War by Courtney Milan. And lastly, we will be talking about and lastly we'll be talking about Bewcastle from Mary Ballow's Slightly Dangerous. So for a little background for what we're gonna do, when we were having our initial conversations about all these books, one thing we did in our discussion was we read each other the love declarations from every book. And we decided that they made for like really long podcasts to read 16 love declarations in these initial matchups. So we cut them out, but we figured we'd come back to them. So as part of the final four, we're going to be talking about these four Duke's love declarations and how the love declarations use the dukiness of the characters. So the juxtaposition of the Duke characteristics and the love declarations and how does the way the love declaration play out highlight our hero as a Duke character. We'll see how yeah, it goes. because we've already established, I think, for all four of these, although there was some arguments last week, but we have arrived at four very strong candidates that exemplify very dukish behaviors. We're seeing, well, actually, in all four of these, we're seeing the wealth, which we had some debate about, like, do they have to be wealthy or not? But they're all wealthy. They're all very powerful in different ways, and they have some isolation issues to deal with. Uh, so it's going to be a difficult matchup as we get to our championship round. I can't even imagine the debate over the championship round. <laughs> yeah. I will say that it's interesting that in all the ways that authors used the Duke archetype in all these different books, that we did end up settling on four that have some similarities. Although Claremont is a little bit less absurd than perhaps two of the four. And then we've got Bewcastle. So there's some similarities and differences for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I I actually think that they exhibit very different facets of the Duke archetype, right? Because we have Villiers is kind of a rake Duke. Mm-hmm. And Montgomery is a, I don't care about anything kind of Duke. Right? Like, I have so much privilege that everything is beneath my notice. And Bewcastle is a extremely bound by his duty, Duke. Mm-hmm. And then Claremont is, I like, I guess Claremont doesn't fit into an easy box. Claremont is Courtney Milan using the Duke archetype to kind of expand it in different ways. Maybe? I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, he's like a social justice Duke. The reason that he ended up here is because he 
has so much privilege and so much, I don't know, blindness to his privilege. But, you know, he was also matched up against a duke who lost his title. (laughs) So that was also a contentious debate. We'll see what happens here. But he is definitely breaking the mold. None of these other books, the Mary Bellow, the Eloisa James, and the Elizabeth Hoyt, are not interrogating any aspects of the Duke character and what is going on socially. Mm-hmm. They're definitely spinning off of the generic verisimilitude that we see dating all the way back to Georgette Hare. So the th- three of these four are definite representations of what we understand to be a Duke in the genre. And we have Courtney Milan kind of saying, well, let's take a look at the, what else is going on socially and historically and put a duke in that and see what happens. So it's definitely an interesting book, but we'll see how we do for our duke archetype showdown. Showdown. All right. All right, All right guys. It's I think it's time for the matchup that at least I've been waiting for, which is Billy versus Montgomery. Oh, man. Like, I feel like this is tough because these characters are kind of doing the same thing except montgomery is much like much more so he takes it and he's just like there's the line all the way across it (laughs) wait wait wait. so wait hold on though what do you mean they're doing the same thing well they're both okay let me back up so i feel like they're both decadent and self-indulgent maybe it's just because they're they're both maybe it's it comes back to the clothes for me maybe maybe it's because <laughs> there are there are two georgian dukes right and they're both like i'm going to wear lots of lace and pink looks really good on me and <laughs> you'll never leave the purple banyan behind yeah well and they both um like both of the books talk about their clothes a lot and both and like the clothes are a big part of their identity so maybe maybe that's why I'm kind of conflating them in my head. So it seems like they have different goals, right? That Villiers is trying to get an appropriate duchess to help his kids and Montgomery wants to blackmail people. But in the book Montgomery is also trying to get an appropriate wife, not to help his kids but to like further secure his power in society. Right. That's Mm -hmm. why he kidnapped. That's why he's doing all these kidnappings is he's like, well, you're an heiress and I can blackmail you. So I pick you as my wife because you will be useful to me. And Villiers is also like, well, I need a wife who will be useful to me in this specific kind of way. And then they're kind of turned on their heads for different reasons. I mean, these books are very different and read very differently. But I Mm -hmm. think at their cores, Montgomery and Villiers have some interesting similarities, which... I think makes it harder to parse their dukiness in comparison, like their respective dukiness in comparison to each other. So I think it'll depend, you know, so we'll see how it comes down with the love declaration. And that's why we were doing the love declaration. Cause at the end here, <laughs> we've, we've pretty much hashed out that these are dookie dukes over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And now it's time to dig in to their squishy, soft, vulnerable parts. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so here's the deal. I'm a sucker for any kind of creative writing exercise. So I'm dragging Aaron and Holly down with me shamelessly. (laughs) So I thought it would be, we had so much fun with our Mad Libs last time that I just thought maybe we could do um, like Hallmark card or, you know, like our own little analysis of the love declarations, but through the use of romantic and witty card inserts. 
basically yeah. roses are red, violets are blue. But yeah, Holly... except I, I didn't follow that. I didn't follow that formula exactly. And but, I think that that is really okay. But like bad little poems declaring their love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so shall we start? Shall we read our poems to each other? I would very much like that. Okay. So let's start with Villiers. <laughs> okay. I'll go first since I'm the one who forced you all to do this. Are you ready? Here I'm we go. Ready. <clears throat> Roses are red. Violets make my balls sweat. Villiers <laughs> might be obnoxious, but he is hot in velvet. <laughs> <laughs> How did, how did we do? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Aaron. So I was like, I couldn't stop cackling after I wrote this because I was like, it's so inappropriate. <laughs> but I'm going to go with it anyway. Are we ready for this? Yes. Roses are red. Villiers is green. Eleanor might wed that other duke with a tiny peen. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i took this prompt in a slightly different direction <laughs> and i wrote a poem from villiers perspective talking to eleanor oh my god um, you guys actually write poetry i was like i can't and, deal with this i can't do poetry and this is to be put in a mother's day card <laughs> nice <clears throat> okay I thought, because you were good in bed, you'd be an awful mom. But now that I've gotten over my Madonna whore complex, it turns out I was wrong. Oh, yay! <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So let's slot in here our clip from the previously recorded love declaration and our conversation surrounding that so we have decided we have all agreed that the actual declaration of love that va makes isn't even really to eleanor it's when he is torn by his wants and his feeling of responsibility and i think at this point so he and eleanor were kind of briefly engaged so that she could get her mom off his back and then oh, they yeah, kind of dissolved their note, engagement just to note that he does not propose to her. Yeah. Not yeah. like the book blurb says it all. They're like all in a room together at a house party and her mom is getting testy and she's just like, oh, hey, by the way, guys, I'm going to marry this guy. And VA is like, oh, all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they have a discussion and they're like, well, we can just pretend like this is this is not like official official. And he's like, well, OK, so I can propose to to Lisette. She's like, what a twit, but okay, fine. Go make your life choices. Yeah. And so I think at this point he has become engaged to Lisette, but he doesn't really want to be. And Astley has come and gone again. And they're all sitting at like breakfast and Eleanor's sister is there and they're talking about what's going to happen next. So I'll start there. But Anne wasn't diverted. Why do you think Astley won't settle down and wait once he is certain that Eleanor won't marry you? Because he's had a few years to realize what he threw away. Back to the immeasurable charms of the Whore of Babylon, Eleanor thought dismally. Anne was relentless. What exactly do you think he's realized? 
He thinks that there's no reason to eat breakfast unless Eleanor is there to give him that silly wide grin of hers. He wants to have an argument with her just so he can kiss her into a good mood again. He wants to sleep with her every night, see her holding a baby with brandy-colored hair like hers. Eleanor's mouth fell open. He wants her forever, Villiers continued. Their eyes met, and his were as cool as ever. He can't bear the idea that she might ever love another man. I'd bet my entire estate that he will arrive tomorrow. You listen to entirely too many books on tape, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but the point is that this, this is not an overt declaration, right? This is him ostensibly talking about another man's feelings for Eleanor. And it's just like, ugh, so perfect, right? I mean, and like later, they have a big fight They don't get engaged. She doesn't get engaged to anybody. He doesn't get engaged to anybody. And then there's kind of a more like vanilla standard. Well, and like it hits, it hits extra hard because he has been such a tease and like they have been at each other, you know, like he's been making fun of her and stuff. Like they just, it's been so, it's obvious to the reader, but it's not obvious to Eleanor and he does obviously has no idea. So it's like this comes out and it's like, what? Like he's sitting there right. being such a dummy. And then it's like, wow, it just comes out of left field and just knocks you right over. It was yeah, so well, good. And I think also after that happens, Eleanor is like, should I read something into this? Like she she doesn't know how to understand this. She's like, if there had been even a spark of emotion in his eyes, I would have known that he was talking about himself. But but she's like, but I don't know. I don't know. And it kind of, it builds up the tension. But the it's amazing. Knows. It was amazing. We yeah. Know. The tension. You're right. That was, it was, it's good stuff. My stomach turned right over. And then, okay. So then the question is, if we're bringing this back to the, the, who's the better Duke, how does this love declaration highlight his Duke characteristics? Wow. So I think Villiers has maybe the most room romantic maybe to me the most romantic love declaration because he is very clearly up in his feelings but he's torn by what he believes is his duty and feels that he can't act on his own personal feelings but he can't resist making this declaration to Eleanor's sister well, and Eleanor, right? No, he- I mean Eleanor's at the table, but he's answering his sister or the sister. So yeah, I mean, and Eleanor is flabbergasted when she hears. She's like, "Oh, I did not expect that," you know. Right. But at the same time, she's like, "Okay, but <laughs> right. but you're, you're going to marry that not- other chick, yeah. and I want to marry my long lost love that I've been pining for over for years and years, right?" Well, yeah, or is she finally getting to the point where she's like, this is all some bullshit. I feel like at that point she might actually be like, these guys are both tools. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if we talk about Villiers as this Reiki Duke who ha- he has this idea in his head about what he needs. And I think at this point in the book he thinks Lisette is the woman that he needs because he thinks she'll be a better mom erroneously but yeah and so this is him being torn between duty and desire he's making this love declaration but not making it outright to her because Mm -hmm. he can 
open up about what he desires, but not actually take it because how, of how he, what he perceives of as his duty. Yeah, I think that's right. I feel like that's a very classic Duke internal yeah. conflict, right? I think this is an interesting Absolutely. conversation, and we sort of touched on it, I think, when we had our initial matchup between Julia Quinn's Wyndham and Alyssa Cole's Edinburgh, because Wyndham also, the the I must do my duty component of a lot of these narratives forms the foundation of the conflict mm-hmm. of like class conflict or I have to do my duty because of money. I mean, we had that between Sincere and Gervaux as well, where we're looking at, okay, I have to look at the big picture and what is my duty to the dukedom versus what do I as a person want? I think we also mm-hmm. touched on that a little bit in our Bucastle conversation. So this is a recurring a theme. Bit. That's like the only thing <laughs> that's is, going on with Bucastle. Yeah, so this is a recurring theme also for this archetype and maybe is something to consider as we go forward. Although I think we've had a variety that don't necessarily get stuck on this question that were also satisfying Duke books. Maybe. Yeah. You yeah. Agree? yeah. I mean, really, when we're talking about VA, there's he's just a very interesting ball of juxtapositions because he's looking for for a, a wife who will kind of like help shore up his deficits, right? Mm-hmm. So like he's looking for balance, he's seeking balance, and he doesn't realize it. He's look he is kind of absurd, and he's looking for someone who's steady. And so like he's mm-hmm. trying to balance himself out. It's just that he doesn't actually. He is so like dookie that he's only really able to grasp what he's doing on a superficial level and it isn't until he actually like processes what he really needs and who Eleanor really is that he's able to kind of grasp the bigger picture of why she's actually really good for him yeah and that's why the love declaration is I think very satisfying because he's fighting himself he's fighting that lack of self-awareness Eleanor knows but she also has no reason to believe that he will he actually feels that way at all so it's all very interesting juicy and satisfying all right well Avelia is squaring off against Montgomery do we want to see how Montgomery matches up yeah let's talk about Montgomery and then maybe we can see how we haven't done any poems guys well that's what I'm saying is let's let's do our Montgomery poems let's do our Montgomery poems let's do poems all right roses are red Violets are by the path. Montgomery is sexy, but he's still a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's Montgomery. Again, a poem Montgomery would write in a card for Bridget. <clears throat> I put my heart in a box and gave it to you. I thought I didn't need it, but now it's broken in two. Oh, Montgomery. Man, Holly got the brief real good. Yeah, she did. All right. Except for I don't, I'm not on board with this whole writing poetry to your significant other. <laughs> Gives me the heebie jeebies. And this is a woman who reads and reviews <laughs> romance novels, folks. <laughs> okay. I rewrote mine. Should I read them both and you guys can tell me which one you think is better? Yes, please. Okay. More poetry, the better, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so my first one is, roses are red. Montgomery's banyan is purple. He'll definitely hop in bed if Bridget flicks his nurple. <laughs> <laughs> the last 
ones are not as interesting as these first two. <laughs> I had to get the purple band yet. All right. So the second one is roses are red. Montgomery's banyan is purple. He doesn't understand his own head until Bridget flicks his narple. Oh, mm. that one's more deep, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he'll he'll jump in bed without nurple flicking. Let's That's be real. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. So now that we've done that little exercise, a <laughs> very informative exercise. So uh, Montgomery was interesting because he's one of those characters who feels like he has not got the capacity to love. You know the type. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you don't read romance novels, in which case start reading some romance novels and then you will definitely know the type. <laughs> he, he doesn't think he Side note, side note, if you don't read romance novels, but listen to the podcast, please reach out to us and tell us why <laughs> and what you get from this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> so Montgomery is is this character who can't, he has this idea about his feelings and therefore is very blind to his feelings and needs Bridget to explain this to him. So we'll, we'll loop in our prior conversation with the love declarations from Montgomery now. All right. So thrilling declaration. So here, here's Valentine and I feel like there are moments earlier in the book where it's clear to the reader that there's something going on with him, but I would say that this is the the declaration scene with her rather than with just him and his thoughts. And he, before I start, I just like for context, one of his mantras is kill the thing you love. And so this is what he's, done since childhood is if you kill the things you love then nobody can hurt you nobody can take them away from you nobody can hurt you anyway but here it is okay and then he saw her burning eyes they gazed at him calmly and he saw in them benediction he fell to his knees before her pressing his face to her purple velvet clad belly Seraphine, 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 O most beloved of women, most fiery of saints, never leave me, please. I'll erect columns of white marble to you, build gardens of delights for you, cause ships to sail and warriors to rise for you if you'll only remain by my side. She smiled down at him and cupped his cheeks. Valentine, do you love me? Ah, God, it was like a shot to the gut. He squeezed tight his eyes to come so close and lose her because of this. If I were able, I would love you as no man has ever loved a woman since the beginning of time. She knelt then to face him and whispered, but you are able. He clutched her. He wouldn't let her go. No, not even when she realized, Seraphine, my darling burning one, do you not remember? I told you so long ago now that I lacked the part. I cannot. But you can, Valentine. She touched a finger to his cheek and then showed it to him. He blinked. Her finger was wet. His eyes were wet. She smiled at him, his burning seraphine, and it was as if the night sky were ablaze. You love me. I love you, he said in wonder, and felt his chest fill with warmth. I love you. 
That's some good. That's some good stuff. Ingrid's just like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> I mean, it's like, good dramatic. for her. But like, if someone was like, I really am incapable of love, I would be like, okay, bye. <laughs> but good for her. Good for them. And also, I just think the floweriness for, for like, it doesn't hit me the same way. So like, it's mm-hmm. it was really touching. But yeah, I just, apparently I'm heartless. Oh, this one was... It is more flowery, but Valentine's kind of flowery. Well, and like, it's good. He's very interesting, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it is flowery. I think almost the better moment for me is it's much earlier and it's when that gross Duke sees him grab Bridget's hand. Yeah. And he's like, oh no, oh, I made a mistake. And like this guy, this gross, awful guy saw it and he'll have power over me and he can like hurt the ones I love. And then like the last line of that chapter is he's like, he's like, good thing I don't love her. But like, he obviously does. Yeah. He just doesn't, he's still lying to himself about it. So I don't know if that counts as a declaration. If he, if he's lying to yeah, himself. He's inter- yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, there is a moment earlier when Valentine does have an interaction with Bridget where this piece of blackmail for Valentine like finally gets rediscovered mm-hmm. and he's like, you take the box, Bridget Seraphine. And she's like, Bridget. what's in it? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's in it? He's like, my heart. <laughs> he's like, here's my heart. You get to keep it. And then later, you know, that comes into play when he's having this duel and she's like, if you don't not duel, I will use this cask. I will use your heart against you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're going to, she's like, whatever. You're so so full of it. And thinks he's going to call her bluff and she follows through. And Kyle, who is like the hero of the next book in service to the king, he's kind of an interesting guy, at least from this perspective, goes to stop the duel. He's like, I know what's in here is enough to make you not duel. But like, what is it? And Valentine's like, it's my heart or what's left of it anyway. Like she stomped on it. (laughs) <laughs> it's like but it's he's so flip still at that point that it's i mean it's definitely saying something but it's not that heartfelt deep acknowledgement that we get mm-hmm. later on that holly read so but i did like that part when well I- and like so many of these parts this is why it's it's hard because it's a good book it's a good book and i feel like maybe if i read it again at a later date after I had some time, it might be different. But like, it's a well-written book. You can't argue with that because he he has to be flipped. That's his character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like this author never strays from like, this is who this guy is. She doesn't wimp out on it. She doesn't cut corners because she feels like a hero has to be a certain way. So like, that's actually pretty awesome that she's able to like figure out how to like make this person fall in love without compromising who he is at his core Mm -hmm. so okay so he's doing the thing where like aaron said he needs bridget to clue him in and the thing that i focused on in my poem was maybe the not explicit love declaration but the point where he gives the incriminating evidence against him to bridget and she gives it to the other duke and he's devastated but doesn't know what that feeling is and then this is not so much an explicit thing, but it's him – it ties into him trying to figure out, like, what is this thing that I'm feeling? It feels awful. This this 
heartbreak feeling that I'm feeling feels awful, but I don't have the words to identify what it is. Yeah. And even when he's feeling this, he's still very flip. Like when, what's his face? Kane? Is that his name? Brings the the box to Villiers to stop the duel as blackmail. Mm-hmm. Villiers, Kane's like, what's in the box? And Villiers just like, just my heart. <laughs> or like, okay. just... It's like, I'm destroyed now, but he's still like joking about it. So uh, he he is very much in his own head consistent about how he presents himself and engages with the world around him. Yeah. I mean, and if we're talking about juxtaposition of the Duke archetype, this is the classic emotional constipation thing, except mm-hmm. presented in a very different way. That's true. Right? Because he is not in touch with his feelings. But it takes a while to see that because he doesn't come across as repressed. He's so hedonistic. He does whatever he wants. It's all about pleasure for him. So you think, oh, he can't be emotionally constipated. He does things for his own pleasure all the time. But he still, he doesn't understand what emotions he's feeling. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like, Ingrid, when you were talking about VA... And I don't even remember what you said, but it was really smart. And the whole time I was also thinking, like, I was like, oh, this applies just as well to Montgomery as it does to VA. But yeah. it's out of my well, brain what, you, what the actual point you were making. Was it the – because Montgomery also has a superficial grasp on what he thinks he needs, right? Yeah, it's just that, that with while VA is – his is more wholesome perhaps. Like, I need a – mother for my children. Montgomery's is, I need someone I can exploit and use for blackmail. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so, but at its core, it's the same thing. He thinks he knows what he needs, but he doesn't actually know. And with Montgomery, it's, it's almost like with the reader, I mean, you kind of hate having this reaction, but it's hard not to because he seems so lost and bewildered in s- at certain moments. Like there are these flashes where he just seems so lost and bewildered because he doesn't know what he feels and he doesn't know what he wants and what he needs. All he has ever known is this one operating system. And all of a sudden he's learning he has something much bigger and much deeper and that he actually does have to nurture that and care for it and that it matters and that it's important and that Bridget is part of that operating system. So for him to operate in a way that is healthy and functional and makes sense, although Healthy, I think, for him is kind of a stretch, even after he's tried to become a more whole person. Um, but for him to even get close to having right a, a healthy life, Bridget is a necessity. Like she is not something that he cannot have in his life. Her presence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do. That is a similarity that I see between VA and Montgomery is that superficial grasp on what they actually need. That's and interesting. I, and I then think I, that both the women can see very clearly from the get-go like it is not not both of them see see montgomery and va they see through the facade almost instantly i think yeah i mean definitely eleanor is like this guy has no idea like he clearly has some story in his head and you know what i'm not gonna be the one to disabuse him of what he thinks you know what he'll either figure it out or he'll marry Lynette and it'll be the worst mistake of his life but that's his problem you know like I don't need to take care of this man child oh they're all man children no I don't I think (laughs) I mean these two are these two are Claremont and Bucastle I'm not sure quite we'll get there but 
Montgomery, Bridget is very, Bridget also has her own stuff going on. She is trying to rescue her mother, her birth mother, who is an aristocrat. Bridget is illegitimate. So she's trying to find the blackmail that Montgomery has is holding over her mother, which is the whole reason that she has taken this position of housekeeper in his household. Mm-hmm. So she's got kind of a dual focus, but as she comes more into Montgomery's sphere, she feels more compelled <laughs> to be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, this is not how we behave. I can't. I we cut it out of the initial podcast because we ended up going off on a lot of tangents with our initial our initial Montgomery conversation. But there was a moment when Montgomery. It's toward the end, and Montgomery's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I killed that guy." And Bridget is like, "No, that guy's okay to kill." And he's like, "Wait a minute. Now I'm allowed to kill people? <laughs> like I don't understand what's happening." And so Montgomery is just like. I'm trying to understand, like, I'm trying to have a relationship with my sister and you, like, you're you're showing me how to do this, but it's so outside of my sphere of understanding what my father made me that I feel like I'm doing it wrong. And how do I do it right? And yet, as I said already, like, he doesn't ever lose his mm, perhaps insouciant hedonistic characterization, even with all of that. Right. So who wins? I think, okay, if we're looking at the love declarations and how they're informing them, I mean, these two are both really interesting because Villiers, the moment we focused on for Villiers is that he is refusing to overtly acknowledge his feelings to Eleanor. He's hiding behind his duty to avoid fully making himself vulnerable. For Montgomery, we have a moment where Bridget effectively has to explain Montgomery's feelings to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's like, no, you do love me. All of these feelings are actually that you love me. And he's like, oh, so neither one of them really sits down and says, here is my true love declaration. There's no mic drop declaration from these guys. Although I would argue that VA is, is more mic droppy because you're just like, oh my God, that just happened. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we don't want mic drop declarations from Dukes. Yeah. So this is I this is my thing. I feel like, and this is just my personal analysis, the love declaration for VA, I think, is crafted in such a way that it reflects that he's held been held back and hampered by his title and his responsibilities, right? That's why the way he does it is satisfying because it's like it slips out he can't help it do you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. just so i like that one and montgomery i think his love declaration is it like you said it's more that he doesn't he needs it to be explained to him or whatever his is his doesn't stem necessarily from his position but it stems from his literal inability because of the way that he was raised to process these feelings because they're just not safe. So Bridget becomes his safety and has to process it for him. So you're saying Villiers' declaration is shaped by his feelings because of his title and Montgomery's is shaped by his feelings because of his trauma. Correct. And that is why I'm going to go on a limb here just because I can do this because I want to. 
I'm going to say that I think the love declaration in both of them are very satisfying for different reasons, but that if I'm choosing one that best represents a Duke book, I choose VA. And that has nothing to do with the fact that he wins your whole thing. Uh, no, no, of course not. <laughs> I am nothing no, I think, ethical. I think, that, I think that I was wondering a little bit, and maybe Holly, you can speak to this because I know you really love this book. I also really love this book. Ingrid did not really love Montgomery, but... Um, he just but, made me feel so uncomfortable. Yeah, so, well, I think that's the thing. How much of Montgomery and his Dukishness, like he's done really well up to this point, but how much of it is about him being a Duke and how much of it is about him being mentally unstable? Mentally unstable? <laughs> yes, that. You know, like how much of it is about how his trauma shaped him? And he happens to be a man in a position of power versus because he's a duke. He could have potentially been some other kind of nobleman who's just really good at blackmail. Right. Well, I actually beg to differ. I think that Montgomery would ha- has to be a duke for this to work. I think all the arguments that we've discussed previously still hold. I literally just think the my one little thing in this specific conversation, since we are focusing on love declarations because we've already hashed out the dukiness of all the dukes. I think the love declaration here, it is not part of his dukiness. It is. I, yeah. Yeah. I agree with Ingrid. I mean, and I think I would even argue that his trauma is pretty intrinsically tied to his title and that his father was able to run the stupid, orgy club like statism orgy club specifically because of his title i feel like okay we've all agreed though with respect to va and montgomery if we're looping in the love declaration at this point if all our prior arguments are still held true which i don't Mm -hmm. think there's any reason not to the fact that va's love declaration stems from feelings about the dukedom versus montgomery's feelings about his trauma is what's going to be the tipping point here yes Okay. And so VA wins. So VA wins. wins. And we'll move forward into the next round. More How poems. exciting. How exciting. All right. Now we have our other matchup. We've got Claremont versus Bewcastle. So, you know, first half we had our Rake Dukes and now we have our Duty Dukes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is an interesting way that you made the lineup, Holly. I know that it was not particularly <laughs> scientific, but yeah. It was definitely some different energy on the top of the bracket versus the bottom of the bracket. Here we see it. Let's do Claremont. All right. Roses are red. Violets are often hated. He makes you feel funny, but Claremont is complicated. Ooh. That's what I got. All right. This is less fun than the other ones. Roses are red, and so is Minnie's dress. Claremont is blue because he made a mess. Oh, Aww. Claremont. Poor Claremont. Okay, so I have to admit, guys, that I punted a little on this one because I took the prompt as writing a Hallmark card based on their love declaration. And for Which Claremont, I think was, was supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> and for Claremont, I was like, why would I write a new poem? His love declaration is already a Hallmark card. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. It's A, for all the ways I love you. B but is for but I'm going to make mistakes. C is for a confession. I don't know what I'm doing. 
etc down to g is for good heavens i should have written this down so <laughs> that's my punt <laughs> taken straight from the book but that i think segs right into yeah so that segues into our let's cut in our initial discussion about this one it ended up being kind of a long discussion because claremont's declaration was kind of long and involved so since we're talking about claremont i thought he he was really interesting in terms of love declarations and i had a hard time choosing what i thought was really the moment but oh man i'm right, looking at all because... my highlights and i'm just like this is amazing this is amazing the moment when he walks out of the room after she tells him that she loves him dead i'm dead all he wanted was to be loved and she gave that to him and he doesn't know what to do with it he thought she was going to leave <laughs> that was so good right i mean and i'm just thinking about the moment where you know when they agree to get married and he and she's like well you know if you're good enough in bed then probably then maybe i'll fall in love with you oh my right? gosh and, that killed me right and he was and he was you why he's freaking mm-hmm. out and being well, a total no. dingus when he's bad <laughs> right <laughs> and, and i think that's the moment that she realized this is the, the scene i'm thinking of is the moment when she realizes that oh he like really really wants my love this is something that is really really important to him it's not quite a love declaration but i thought that was like a really pivotal moment in their relationship in him in him revealing his feelings yeah there was good but like can you quote that no i mean i don't know we've been reading the declarations of love but in both of these books i feel like it gets so murky that it's almost better to just kind of like it, it in the Courtney Milan with Robert, it's like, you know it before they know it. And then they know that they want the other one to love them or that they're scared that they won't. And it's just like, there are so many little tiny, like Hansel and Gretel style, just like crumbs getting dropped on all the pathways. And you're like, oh my gosh. Right. So there's that. Okay. So the one I highlighted, Holly, did you highlight anything? Ingrid, did you highlight anything? Well, I mean, I, I have the, I never the, prim- I, the primer the scene. Primer scene. Well, so... I also highlighted, yeah, the scene where he walks out. Yeah, the primer scene. So do you want to read it, Holly? Go ahead. Okay. You'll have to excuse me if I make a hash of this, he said quietly, but I've never done it before. What are you doing? An answer, he walked into the room and laid the leather-bound volume on the chest of drawers near her. It was the primer she'd bought him the other day. I... He looked down and then looked up at her. I decided what these letters stood for, he told her. I thought I might tell you. Sorry, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> okay. It took her a moment to realize that he was nervous. He glanced at her sidelong and opened the book to the first page. A, he said, it's for all the ways I love you. That fierce prickle of tears stung her eyes with renewed force. She blinked, unwilling to let them cloud her vision. She wanted to see him to make out the details of his pale tousled hair the way he bit his lip. He looked away. This is stupid he muttered, reaching for the corner of the cover. He almost slammed it shut before Minnie realized what he was doing and insinuated her hand between the open pages. No, she protested. It's not. His hand hovered over hers. He swallowed. There is nothing stupid about your telling me you love me. Ever. Oh, he said quietly. He seemed to take a few moments to absorb that before he opened the primer again. A is for all the ways I love you. There are more than 26, 
but is this the alphabet we have? I'm going to have to restrict myself, at least for now. <laughs> so good. That's exactly it's like, oh my god. It's so No, I when we got to that part, I literally started flapping my hands. I was eating in bed and I was like, stop, stop, and then I almost dropped my phone and I was like, no, I have to keep holding on to it. It was the worst. Uh. It's so good. Oh, they work oh, and so the little, hard oh, for when it. he gets all quiet, he like real. Oh, good. It was so good. <laughs> I think so. I noted in my personal Goodreads notes this like that twenty five year old me left this book feeling like this was really sad and like I didn't I didn't think this was going to be the Duke that won because my memory of it was just that it was he was. A political radical and everything was just really sad. And when I finished it this time, I was just like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. The way that they love each other is amazing. The thoughtfulness of the construction of this book was amazing. This book was so good. (laughs) Yeah, so good. So dookie. I mean, but also Mm -hmm. really sad. Like that scene where he talks about like the funny thing oh, that happened to him when he was a kid. It's not funny at all. <laughs> it's not funny at all. And and she's like, that's not funny. And he's like, well, yeah, it is a little bit, right? And she like realizes that he like has to tell himself that it's funny in order to like be able to even handle thinking about this awful thing that happened to him as a kid is just like, oh my God. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and like the gentleness and like the way that they handle it, like you don't go into it. You know, so often we read romance novels and people have this level of trauma and you're like, oh my God, you need a therapist before you go into a relationship. But they, the way that they handle each other is so careful and so gentle that it just goes to show you don't have to be done. You don't have to be perfect. People with trauma and messy histories deserve, I mean, you can still have a happy ever after with baggage. And like, that's, I think when I said in the beginning that I feel like these characters had such rich, complicated, deep backgrounds and that they just, when they come together, it's like explosive. It's just, you can't imagine that anyone would have handled that conversation with such care Mm -hmm. when she's like, yes, you're right. I was wrong. It's a little funny. Yeah. Like she knows not to push. He's not there yet. It's not the time. They have all the time in the world. That's what it felt like to me was that she was like, we have time, mm-hmm. like, but it's not mm-hmm. now. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. my heart. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. I mean, even that bad oh, sex scene. was like, good. That's how we're so used to reading romance novels. I mean, we're kind of getting off track in terms of the dukishness, but just to like, we're so used to romance novels being like, oh, yes, the sex was perfect. And that's why. <laughs> We know that these characters are meant to be together. Right. You know? But like if you're in a marriage where you care about each other and you want to have it be successful, like that is exactly how you should talk about it. And it's not surprising that he's feeling defensive about not performing the way he thinks he should have performed when the stakes are so high for him. Huh. Yeah. And the way that she she was like, Okay, well, I'm still I'm gonna be brave and ask for what I actually wanted. And but like they talk to each other about what they are both looking for and it's just so thoughtful and gentle and it's maybe it's not no, super it, sexy. It, I don't know. I found it, it pretty okay. deeply and it's sexy. Very sexy. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. yeah. I didn't I don't think that was like a downside. I was there. like 
But yeah, it was just lovely, lovely. So as might be noticeable from that clip, none of us were super excited about this one. Like it's very sweet, but it doesn't, it's like, oh, my heart. But, you know, Claremont's kind of a sad boy, the whole book. And then he is the only one in this group who does this long, explicit, let me count the ways I love you. Yeah, that's true. We haven't gotten to Bucastle yet, but this is the f- floweriest. I mean, it's the most vulnerable, really. It might be the longest yeah. of them all, really, of well, all of that, the books that we read. I think that makes a lot of sense because Claremont, as a duke, he's using the archetype as a tool and he's kind of in inverting it he isn't following hitting all the marks and following all the rules he's taking it and using it to solve problems both in the plot Mm -hmm. he's fighting for you know social justice and he's would be totally fine if there wasn't an aristocracy and also he's not this like swaggering like i take what i want type of guy he's like i resist I do not have intercourse with women. I do all the other stuff because I don't want to do what my father did. And so like he's we talk when we talk about the ducal qualities of Claremont, we talk about how it's an undercurrent. It's not overt. And so it makes sense to me that his romantic declaration would not match the others. It would be different because it's the whole point is that he's different. Right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a lot of his characterization is he's trying to set himself up in opposition to what he thinks a duke is. And probably yeah, like, what he thinks a duke is, is like what Villiers is, right? Who's just kind or, of like, actually, maybe not. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I know that we've already discussed Montgomery, but both Montgomery and Claremont were shaped by their fathers. They have very different upbringings, and yet... They both hold some deep trauma because of their upbringings. And Claremont, yes, decided to go like whole hog opposite, but his reactions are all because of his father. And getting to the point, his love declaration also stems from an inability up to this point to acknowledge that he is capable of these feelings. He... He doesn't think that deep love is something that he can do. And it's not until he and Minnie become fully, not just physically, but emotionally intimate, that he can see this deeper emotional well, which is where the love declaration comes from. So, I mean, in that respect, he's also coming from that, I have bad Duke parents duke archetype (laughs) element (laughs) although perhaps also his inability to recognize love is due to his trauma and not due to being a duke if that's a similar argument that we could make i do think that you do you're finding a good parallel there it's time for bue castle poems i insist all right ingrid give it give us um Roses are red, violets are dewy hassles. If you love sweet nothings, don't fall for Bucastle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Roses are red, Bucastle is ice. He'll never be wed because he's not nice. 
Oh, poor Bucastle. Oh, poor Bucastle. Okay, so Bucastle, I felt his character would absolutely write a Roses Are Red poem to his, oh, interesting. his love interest. So here's his. Roses are red, violets are blue. You are entirely inappropriate, but I am entranced by you. <laughs> oh, that's good. I love it. <laughs> See, I feel like if Bucastle, if it's like, you know... 15 years down the road and Bucastle is wanting to write a poem to Christine, he'll be like all up in his romantic feelings. It would be the exact kind of poem that would make me feel deeply uncomfortable if I ever got it. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> so, but very true, very true. All right. So Bucastle is our definitely duty duke. He's our Darcy spinoff. He's icy. He's powerful. He has the world in his pocket. Let's clip in what we talked about with the love declaration. All right. Uh, I love the not saying I love you. I love you declarations. The other thing about Mary Bello, though, Mm -hmm. is she has this fixation on the difference between being in love and loving. Mm. And I would imagine that she would feel perhaps that the true love declaration is after we have gone from the I'm in love component until we are in the I truly love component. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If you guys, I, you guys go ahead and read the love declarations this round. I uh... Neither of the Dukes in either of these books really verbally put it on the line. Like they do, but it's very much driven by the woman, in my opinion. Well, verbally, it seems like Castle's focused on actions to demonstrate, at first to demonstrate to Christine that she's wrong about him, but also to demonstrate that he can be the man that she doesn't think he can be. That right. he can be. So you are going to disagree with me, and I guarantee you that you don't think so, but I picked what I felt was the most explicit declaration of love for Bucastle and it's when he's proposing. Yeah. So right, I'm going to read, read it, it now. Wait, yeah, read the it. The first proposal at like, I mean, this is early. It's like no, 50%. This is the one where she says yes. Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> so they're talking about all the reasons that it's going to be a difficult thing to get married, but he's like, mm-hmm. not really. You'll be fine. <laughs> so then she says, I love Wolf Rick. Edwin, she said, and there was a wicked inflection in her voice. Do you? He closed the distance between them and took both her hands in his. He raised them one at a time to his lips. Do you, my love, enough to take a chance on me? I had better warn you. There is a Bedouin tradition that we do not necessarily marry early in life, but that when we do marry, we give our whole devotion and fidelity to our spouse. If you marry me, you must expect to be adored for the rest of your life. She sighed. I think I could bear it. She said, if I try very hard, but only if I can do the same to you. Then he proposes. That's it. I mean, if you look, he says, my love, but he doesn't say, I love you. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, okay, here's what I highlighted. All let's right, see. let's see it. Is, this is much earlier. This is about halfway through the book. <clears throat> okay. All right. Christine is talking. She says, I do not intend to marry again, but if I do, it could only be to a man that has all those qualities you have just repeated to me. It is an impossibility, you see. No man could ever be all those things or quite fit that dream. And so I choose to remain single and free. I'm sorry if I offended you. You do not seem like the sort of man who could be offended, especially by someone as lowly as me. But if I offended you, I am sorry. I want to prove to you 
he said, that I have at least some of those attributes you dream of finding in a man. What? Mm-hmm. That was a good moment. Mm-hmm. That was a good moment. Okay. Well, here's right? that moment that... And here's Aaron. Yeah. He looked at her and he lingered. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually, they're arguing. Is this when so, he's in the they're tree? At, they're at his house and she's not, she's still not convinced that he's anything different than what she thinks. And he has been putting this effort into being different. Mm-hmm. So they're arguing and she says, you just do not like children, do you? She said, or anything suggestive of childhood or exuberance or sheer enjoyment. Cold, sober dignity is everything to you. Everything. Of course, I do not care what you think of me. I will tell you anyway, he said, his eyes blazing with a curious cold light that she recognized as anger. I believe you were put on this earth to bring light to your fellow mortals, Mrs. Derrick. And I believe you should stop assuming that you know me and understand me. And then they argue a little bit more. And he says, you do things that are impulsive and unladylike and clumsy and even vulgar. You chatter too much, you laugh too much, and you sparkle in a matter that is no way refined. And yet you attract almost everyone within your aura as a flame does a moth. You think people despise you and scorn you and shun you when the opposite is true. You have told me that you did not take well with the ton. I do not believe it. I believe you took very well indeed, or would have done if you had been allowed to. I do not know who put the idea into your head that you did not, but that person was wrong. Perhaps he could not bear the power of your light, or perhaps he could not bear to share it with his work. Perhaps he mistook the light for flirtation. So it's like, yeah, this mm-hmm. I see you and I see the sparkle in you and I value that. But he he doesn't quite say that he values it. Well, I mean, later yeah. on he says, unlike your late husband or his brother or whoever it was that convinced you that you were nothing more than a flirt, he said, I believe I could stand the power of your light, Mrs. Derrick. My own identity would not be diminished by it. This is also very dukish. And yours would not be diminished by my power. You once told me I sap, I would sap your joy, but you belittle yourself if you truly believe it. Joy can be sapped only by weakness. I am not, I believe, a weak man. But I highlighted that as more of like a dukish element mm-hmm. than a further declaration. Of yeah, love. I mean, but, the mo- I mean, I think the one Ingrid selected yeah. is illustrative of very much he hasn't changed as a person he still largely holds himself to himself mm-hmm. but he has also shown himself to her in a way that she understands at that point to be fair putting my therapy hat on he does do it in his safe place on his terms sharing what he's willing to give her so and he doesn't actually say i love you so there's still quite a bit in reserve i would imagine but let's wish them all the best of luck <laughs> he has Anywho, deep trauma he's a, duke. he's a duke he just has to duke let him do his duke thing anyway the point is i think the declaration at the end is the closest he comes to being like i'm going to lo-. even if it's not the actual word he's gonna verb love her for mm-hmm. the rest of her life so mm-hmm. yeah I mean, and he does say, like, the bit that Aaron read where he talks about her light and how he says at some point that he wants to, he doesn't want to smother her light. He wants to, like, do things to help her light keep shining, right? So he says in different ways that he likes her the way she is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's the, the thing that I always like about connection with people and being loved where it's do you see me do you Mm -hmm. 
choose me and can I count on you, where he knocks them all out of the park, really. And he is actually the people that she has thought see her and that she can count on and that choose her actually end up not being like her whole her, all of her closest acquaintances shift around basically mm-hmm. besides you know her family is kind of they don't seem like huge players but the people she thought would be her enemies become not her enemies the person she thought was really close to her is not so and it all of that is because he kind of comes in and pays attention like he actually right. looks where all these other people haven't actually been seeing her and that itself is very romantic i think mm-hmm. yes yeah so we get Bucastle. we had some contention i mean ingrid read maybe the closest thing to an overt love declaration that we get at the end of the book, but there are so many moments that we I mean, make a joke of it, but this book seems much more about action-based demonstrating love than verbal declarations of love. And we had discussed in past books, something similar, like in a kingdom of dreams, Claymore says he loves her, Jennifer, but it's at a bad moment. And the moment that we really get, oh, he loves her is when he's dying on the tournament field. Can you guys remember other ones? There are They didn't make it into this round, <laughs> but there are other moments where the Dukes showed rather than told the depth of their love and devotion to their, to their partners. But that's seems like what we're seeing from Bucastle, that he's still himself, he's consistent as a character. His characterization is consistent. And that's what we're seeing even here when he has gone to all this effort to make himself vulnerable and show Christine that he's more than just the Duke of Bucastle. He is also Wolfric Bedwin. And yet he doesn't give a flowery declaration. He doesn't. Right. So I feel like this is hard because the entire love story for this book and Bucastle is tied up with him negotiating his identity as a duke and as a man. Mm-hmm. But we can't separate out a love declaration that really shows that because it's in every action he takes with Christine. I mean, the other thing that Mary Bello always does is she differentiates between being in love and loving someone which is funny because I just read a Reddit thread, apparently in Swedish, being in love, like they have different words for it. (laughs) And so it's confusing when they read English books where they're like, (laughs) wait a minute. Like when somebody says, I'm in love with you, and then somebody comes back with, I love you too, that doesn't make sense in Swedish because they're different Mm -hmm. words for different depths of feeling or different levels of seriousness. And that's Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily something English always does but mary bellow definitely does but she treats being in love as something that is maybe transient mm-hmm. uh whereas loving someone is real lasting depth of feeling right and also active right something yeah. you do rather than something you feel yeah so it makes sense that his love declaration is all about his actions rather than his fifis <laughs> I love that when you say that. It makes me so happy. What, when I talk about them being up in his <laughs> fifis? He's all up in his fifis. Because you're right. You know, let's go back to Montgomery, right? Like, his actions don't really change. Mm-hmm. It's about he needs to tap into his feelings. But Bucastle has these feelings the whole time, but he needs to 
change his actions so those feelings become apparent to those around him. Yes, it seems sincere as opposed to performative almost, maybe. Or manipulative. You're saying you love me. Well, you're saying it's the Darcy moment, right? You say you love me, but I'm inappropriate. So how, like, what am I even supposed to do with that? Right. Versus, oh, like, you are deeply sincere about what you were saying. And I can see it. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because, like, we've joked about how there are all these little, like, moments and gestures where it's like, oh, he loves her. Oh, he loves her. But what, what I think about is how he thinks to himself in one part where he's thinking and about how he really wants to ask her right then. But he knows that like he's got one more shot to ask her. He he can only ask her like one more time for it to like, cause it's not appropriate. Like he's trying to be a good guy. And so he needs to make damn sure that he has clearly shown her how he feels and that she understands it before he asks again. And then she's, he hands her up into the carriage and is like, can I come call on you? You know what I mean? And it's like, <gasps> you know, right. but it's, like, it's the Matthew McFadden hand gift. <laughs> It's that moment means nothing without the thought and consideration, like how much the weight of the words. It's just he thinks to the point of almost overthinking everything because he has to because he's a duke. And like this is the most important thing he's ever done. He's putting everything on the line in a way that's uncomfortable and has required great change and development from him. Not really change because he's been this person the whole time, but changes the way he's interacted with people he's loved his whole life. Mm -hmm. And so like it's just there's so much meaty weighty context and subtext that goes into just those little words there and so yeah it it, I don't know it's really hard and annoying to say like well it's what's between the lines but that's kind of what it is for Bucastle Mm -hmm. you know Claremont and I would almost argue that Claremont and Bucastle are kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum because Claremont is very vulnerably processing out all this stuff from his childhood granted he's doing it because he doesn't know that it's trauma at that point but he's sharing all these funny stories that are actually deeply troubling and trying to like heal all his child childhood wounds outwardly right so this is like external processing and Bucastle it's a lot of it is internal like Mm -hmm. he doesn't have these conversations with her he has them with himself and like we see him internally processing these changes he needs to make and what he wants to do and stuff like that. So they're just Although very different. He does have that external conversation with her, right? He Where does, he tells yeah. her, he said, here's what it was with my childhood. And here's what my relationship with my brother used to be like. And here, and here's the moment it changed. And it's framed really differently because he has to take this traumatic moment and see it not just as funny, but as something that was the right thing to do when he mm-hmm. buys his brother a commission. And I think even the text doesn't want to see that as traumatic. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just me wanting, like, reading into this from my 2023 lens. Well, we did discuss in our previous conversation that it, it for Bucastle, it has to be that way because his character is interwoven with all the other books. Right. So he can't make his family the bad guys because they're the heroes in all these other books. So yeah. he, he kind of has to walk that line. And I think that that actually makes sense from a world building standpoint, because it also reflects the line that Bucastle has to walk on a daily basis. So right. it's not out of place. It fits perfectly. In my personal opinion, the way that the Bucastle book is executed is it, it hits all the marks. I think the way that he processes his feelings and the way that he does his declaration, even in the little like drips and 
moments that he has with her like it's yeah so i want to go back to what you were talking about the moment where he goes up to the carriage because mm-hmm. he and asks to call on her because he knows that he'll only get one more shot mm-hmm. to ask her to marry him and at this point he has already uh done two impulsive proposals mm-hmm. right he, you know he impulsively says be my mistress and then he impulsively shows up at her house and asks her to marry him and she turns him down both times. And it seems like then this moment where he is like, may I have permission to call on you? I would like to discuss something with your mother. And of course she knows what that means is the moment. This is the declaration he makes where he's actually integrating the behavior one would expect of him as a dutiful Duke into his romance and treating her as an appropriate partner for a Duke. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like Claremont's love declaration is very emotional. It's this emotionally fraught moment, and they're both crying, and it's what these characters need. But I feel like if we're talking about love declaration is the thing that's getting them through, then like Bucastle just beats everybody. We had a tough conversation with respect to Claremont, and I honestly didn't expect to have a significant discussion about Claremont versus Bucastle because because of all the stuff that's come before. And we didn't expect a an enlightened Duke to make it very far at all in the first place. And the fact that Claremont is in the final four is perhaps surprising. Although, you know, like I back going back to Holly's text saying I may, I think Claremont might be unbeatable because he has all of these components of a duke but last time in the elite eight conversation we raised the question of okay but if i were going to recommend this to somebody as a duke archetype book is this what i'm going to recommend and that was one of our struggles with claremont going forward into this round that doesn't go away i mean claremont is a very dukey duke but this book is diverging so much from your standard Duke archetype that it's very clear. Like this one is not like the others <laughs> in the final four that we're talking about, you know, and VA is going in, you know, and we have Bucastle here. Like these are books that have stuck in my mind mm-hmm. for going on 20 years. Like if we're looking at our rounds here, I didn't read Elizabeth Hoyt before a few years ago for the first time. And Claremont, you know, Courtney Milan was also newer, so they're not they're not writing as long ago, but when we're looking at some of these elements of Dukes, it's not surprising that we're leaning toward Bucastle here because he's got oomph. Yeah. All right. I mean, does anyone want to make an argument for Claremont? Ingrid, you had a lot of feelings about Claremont last time. Yeah, so I just want to argue, this is what I think. I think that I would be curious to revisit this conversation in a couple of years. An archetype is an archetype for a reason because it's a tool and we use it. I mean, there are, arch- there are archetypes that we've used and played with from the beginning of recorded storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I think that the idea of like isolated lonely man in power is not new. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Claremont played with it. But I think what Claremont was able to play with was the archetype itself, which is more exemplified in the story with Bucastle. So I don't think, I think Claremont, it's, it's very creatively done. 
it's a great book, but I think the frustration that I felt in the last conversation was that I was like, but it's a tool, but it's a tool. This isn't the example, it's the tool. So that's what I felt about Claremont. It was, it's a really amazing book and I highly recommend it, but it's also, it's a little sad. Just <laughs> It's so sad. Well, they're all sad. This is not they're a happy series. <laughs> no, but that's a different conversation for a different time. So I think we have our winners. Villiers versus Bucastle is going to be our final two, right? It's gonna be a yeah, tough match. it is going to be a tough matchup. Uh, those were our top two seeds. So maybe we're just too good at this. We <laughs> just are fulfilling our own prophecies. I wonder about... that myself. It's like... Do we just know ourselves too well? I think it'll be interesting to see if we get comments from people that are like, <laughs> I can't wait to see the comments after Gervaux. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, and so so I've been running, you know, polls on Twitter and, you know, we're recording this a little in advance, but so far they've matched us pretty closely, except for um, Davenport. Davenport didn't make it past the first round. But... I wonder, yeah. I wonder if that's also because Cat Sebastian is very popular among the online reading community, and well, I wonder you know, if Deidre Richards is. I got a comment on that saying Davenport did not make it past because he doesn't meet the minimum requirement of competence. <laughs> so. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. All right. All so, right. yes, so. in our next matchup, the final championship round Bucastle versus VA. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we're going to have to punt on this. But, you know, we'll talk about it, what we've learned, what we know about Dukes, what we know about ourselves. Some possible oh. Dukes that we did not include. Yeah, yeah. that would be it. I think we should. We'll talk about some Dukes we didn't include that maybe could have knocked these guys out now that we were thinking about this more. Yeah. Totally, McGowan. Until then, uh, show notes at smutreport.com slash podcast. And... Keep it smutty, folks. Keep it smutty, folks. Na 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 smut report.